Oh, that coffee is fucking lethal. I'm going to be running on the roof. Right. So a nice little so, <laughs> opening. <laughs> we're, get, we're really getting good at these uh, these these unscripted openings, aren't we? Do you reckon over the years it will slowly begin to become like, like Top Gear? Like, where it's... like Top Gear? <laughs> no, 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 no. Hear me out, hear me out. You know where on Top Gear you, it's kind of painted to be all kind of like natural, but it's actually just like heavily scripted? Oh. And they just kind of gave up and it became more and more scripted as it went on. Is that what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know. <laughs> when we sell out to the BBC. <laughs> yeah, like... Well, we're, we're BBC Sounds. We're going to be doing the show. The light's just completely drained from my eyes. I'm just soulless. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. We have to take, like, ten shots of coffee in order to just animate ourselves in the studio. Oh, we're just drunk all the time. We don't cool, even cool. give... <laughs> we don't actually come up with a rating. We just get a pair of dice and... <laughs> Chuck him on the floor <laughs> yeah. and go. Not oh, seven, seven out of ten. <laughs> it's quite like that um, one, but you know, the dice makes the rules. It was kind of weird how we gave each other last times probably the most two films that couldn't be further apart from each other. Um, yes. In terms of likeness, well, I think in some ways they have some similarities, but we can get into it. Um, yeah, of course. In the same way that a shark has exactly the same similarities of dog. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No, it's. Um, I mean, it was it was definitely a surprise and a massive jump between the two. Um, I mean, yeah, they are quite different, but I think some of the sensibilities are similar. But we can talk about mm. that. Um, That'll be an interesting conversation. Yes. Do you want to intro the show? Right. <laughs> yes, I will. I will. I will. Hang on, okay. I'm just going to crack my neck and crack my knuckles. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Final Draft Podcast with me, Adam Bastin, and as always, Alex Knox. It's me. He's back. I'm back. <laughs> We're back, baby. Um, but yeah, so Alex gave me the 1979 film Stalker mm-hmm. by. Andrei oh Tarkovsky. It's a bit of a tongue twister, and if anyone knows me with names, it's not going to be. It's not going to be a very oh, good episode. It's alright. I've like butchered. <laughs> I think on every episode so far, I've butchered like several names. <laughs> every so name. It's Oof. all good. Okay, all good. But yeah, I also gave Alex uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel by mm. Wes Anderson. Yeah, that was a very menacing. Mm. <laughs> mm. So the you, film that bought us William Defoe on ice skates. We can yeah, we can talk about that later. Uh, you were first last time with Fargo, so I'll start this one. It's certainly going to be a very interesting conversation, to say the least, given that um, you obviously gave me this film and I had absolutely no idea what it was. And I went in blind. Mm. Yeah, I very intentionally <laughs> tried to pick something that I thought you wouldn't have seen. Um you did a good job. <laughs> so yes, Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky. It's a 1979 movie. Uh, Tarkovsky was a Russian filmmaker. Um, I guess I'll give you a brief synopsis before we go into full spoiler mode. Um, the film follows a writer and a scientist. Um, and they go on a journey with a stalker, a man who has immense knowledge about a mysterious zone where the laws of physics and time don't really seem to work normally. 
Uh, they're all in search of a room that will grant uh, whoever finds it their innermost wish, and that's sort of the setup for Stalker. Before I get into it, I am curious to know what you just what your initial thoughts of it were, Adam. Well, it was a very visceral piece. Um, I, I had no idea what it was going to be going into it, but I did see the poster on IMDb, and it gave me kind of Beyond the Black Rainbow vibes, which I know I, I think you haven't seen yet. No, I haven't. But that's that's a completely different conversation to what that kind of film is. But uh, that kind of film that's like will stick with you for a while. There's definitely some f- posters and pieces of media that I remember seeing at a young age and it creeping me the fuck out like um oh what was the name of that character who has all the pins in his head? Oh what um <laughs> Do you know what I'm on about? Yeah. Hell, yeah, Hellraiser. <laughs> Hellraiser, yes. Yeah. Or Hellraiser. He scared the shit out of me. And that kind of weird type of art form is kind of very similar to the, the Russian artwork that was featured on this. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be one of those movies that's so out there and strange. And I thought it was originally going to be a thriller, like a kind of horror film. Hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it didn't really seem anything like that. I saw it was a PG and I was very confused, even more so going into this about what it was actually going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's labelled as a sci-fi, but I don't know. I kind of like struggled with that. I, I definitely felt that it was more of like a kind of a, reli- a religious commentary, mm-hmm. I suppose, about faith and and, and humanity. And it, it does it in such like a hypnotic way that it, it, it left me thinking about it for, for <laughs> every day since I saw it. Um, yeah. I pretty much caught that film a couple of days after the last podcast mm-hmm. um, and sat with it for a while because I was half asleep when I watched it and um, I'm not often very good with films that have subtitles anyway. I'm just not used to, to watching them. But it, it not that it bothered me at all. I went along with the movie and tried to make sense of the whole kind of narrative, which I guess we'll we'll talk about the motion of the story and how they uniquely did it in this film. But yeah, it was... It was very much unlike anything I've seen in a film before. Yeah. Because I expected it to go one way and then I expected it to go another way. Mm-hmm. And then it went down a direction that I never thought it was going to in the first place. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's kind of funny looking at my notes because I can block them in terms of where I thought the plot was going to go and then how my notes completely derailed each time that kind of changed. But yeah, it, and I found it quite surprisingly heartfelt as well. I think it was um, it's very interesting and a passionate kind of comment on like human desire and the cinematographer inside me can't not comment on uh, of that aspect and the visual aspect of it as well. But I'll let you, I'll let you, of course, go ahead and and say your piece in two cents about <laughs> this wonderfully strange film. No, yeah, it's awesome. I think um, I think you kind of taps into what made me want to speak about it the film also has like an interesting history which um kind of really impacts the way that you watch it but i'll I'll save that for later um okay but yeah i this film really stuck with me um i thought it was just beautiful i just think the the cinematography is beautiful and we spoke about in wandavision that (laughs) that i'm not really a fan of super long things and this film really is testing my patience with that because I think the average shot length is yeah. like five minutes long. So this is really like, this is really like a test for someone like me who's not very patient. 
Um, yeah, you always you always say whenever we go into a film, it's <laughs> whenever we look at the runtime. I can always look at you, and you'll either go hmm or hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like runtime for you is like a huge thing. And I saw on IMDb that it was two hours and forty two minutes long, and I was like, yeah, it's a, holy shit, it's a beefy, it's a beefy yeah. film, and it's constructed in a way to make it even longer. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely not a. I don't think it's a casual watch by any means, and also the the language barrier. Mm. I'm the same. Like it's it's hard for us. We have we have small brains, and I, I yeah, you yeah. know, our small brains can't process that many words that quickly. That's the thing. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, but yes, you're right. This <laughs> this is definitely a film about faith. At least that's what I took away from it. Um, yeah, the concept of the zone uh, and the stalker himself really plays into this idea and. Tarkovsky has sort of openly said that's what the film is about, uh, and he's that he was he was a oh, Christian, really? yeah. So he was a Christian and uh, definitely a man of God. Uh, and he said, uh, "The film." Oh. <laughs> Sorry, let's get into quote mode. I mean, <clears throat> I don't. I feel like I can hear like the David Lynch in the back of my head going like, "No, you shouldn't fucking tell anyone." <laughs> but. Yeah. I think it's good to contextualise sure. I think it's important I think it's good to because con- we're discussing it it's good to contextualise what the director thought of the film uh, so the film is about the existence of God in man and about the death of spirituality as a result of our possessing false knowledge that was Tarkovsky on Stalker and I think oh, wow. with that in mind it makes a lot of sense that two of our protagonists are a writer and a scientist because these are people I didn't who- even think about that yeah and it's ironic because Tarkovsky was also an artist and I'm sure had some sort of interest in science. I mean, filmmaking, you know, is very technical. Um, so it's interesting that he chose those characters as archetypes of people who would be, I don't know, led astray from from their faith almost. And the stalker, his mm. his role in the film, well, what, he, what he wants as a character is to give faith into the world because... You're right as well that it is a sci-fi film and I feel like that might go over your head and Tarkovsky was also very open about the fact that he's not a fan of sci-fi. He thought sci-fi was comic booky and full of commercial elements and he just thought it was vulgar. He thinks the, sci- the genre in general was vulgar and a director that um, wow. uh, Tarkovsky gets compared to a lot and I can completely see why is Kubrick. Um, Kubrick, and yeah, they're almost, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're, they're like two sides of the same coin. Um, Kubrick was an atheist um, and made science fiction films uh, and it's interesting seeing how you know they they have kind of a different such a strange conflict on the opinion of like each other's films I imagine well because of that so a film Tarkovsky had made previously to this was a film called Solaris which um, I've seen since and is very good and maybe we'll talk about the show one day uh, and he made that film in direct response to 2001 because he hated 2001. Uh, he, oh, wow. He thought it was a horrible film. So he made Solaris in response. What, which simply due to the religious aspect of it? I mean, I, I, think, I think... Not to dive into 2001, but I guess the message of that film <laughs> is more man is God. Um, and it's all about evolution, I suppose, isn't it? And yeah, I, I, I can see how those... The kind of core elements of both the, the, the like this movie and that movie conflict because they're both kind of a lot about human consciousness and desire and 
and that kind of overarching story of what it kind of means to be human. Yeah. And yeah, so Stalker obviously takes it from a very strong religious aspect. Well, I kind of got it like very late on into the film. There's a lot of like heavy dialogue scenes that tell you a lot in this film. And it's not done in such a way where it's the film telling you how you should feel. It's mm-hmm. just you learning more about those characters through either them becoming very dominant or submissive in some ways. Like they'll show themselves in a way that you wouldn't have expected or they'll take over a scene. Because there's always this weird conflict going on between them. And I found it interesting how you brought up, you know, how the fact that one of them's uh, uh, like a writer, one of them is a physicist, and how in terms of things like religion and all of that, they're kind of two groups of people who would argue and would have conflict over um, Mm. like the the main stories of the universe and, and, and so forth. Totally. So there's that interesting conflict between them on their journey into the zone. And you're, you never really get an idea other than the... I mean, first of all, I'll, 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 go, I'll go through my process of watching this film. So at first glance, we're kind of introduced to the stalker who very harshly disconnects himself to his family. Mm. Um, you wake up to a scene where they're all in bed together and he just kind of leaves without them knowing he tried to get out of bed without making any noise so they wouldn't know that he's left and then they have this whole scene where with the with the wife who was she had some really nice moments to shine in this film yeah, as a was. side character yeah. and she was one of my favorites because it was such a kind of stoic film and her her role allowed it allowed a very kind of emotional part of the film to shine through upon reflection mm. um of everyone's actions within it you then follow the characters into the zone, them getting past all the guards. Because the whole great. setting is that, that is fantastic. Is great, greatly, yeah, really great uh, director sequence. You know, this is like a really slow and patient film. The tension and the action and mm. that sequence of them kind of breaking through the border and uh, going through the going through the factory, and it it not only does it look great because <laughs> you know the cinematography in this is amazing, um, but the tension in that scene is really well done too. It reminded me very much of my first time watching 12 Years a Slave, where so many pieces of tension and kind of overwhelming emotion within that film came from how the director forced you to stay on certain shots longer than you ordered them to. Mm. And obviously this is different because it just allows almost every shot in the film to be to be long and considerate and to show, to kind of make you the observer of what's going on. Like all of the shots were either in in a door frame or behind a window looking into these characters, behind a wall. It's, it's not often that you get some very close-up moments with the characters individually. And when you do, it's for a reason. It just feels very, very observant. And that kind of led me to believe that there was, you know, a very strong sci-fi element around this film. Like maybe there was some sort of creature who, uh, I don't know, um, hypnotized all the people and ate them <laughs> or something when they came into the zone or um, it really could have been anything but I felt like they were just constantly being watched and yeah. they tiptoe through this area where they're not supposed to be and mm. they always additionally have this conflict with the stalker because he's such a stoic figure in the film and then 
well, well, I was talking about earlier how the whole film kind of flipped for me in the terms of how I saw it was because of how I realised there was no there was no kind of like hero in the story. It commented on how people's intention and, and the way that people are can can always be hidden and, <clears throat> and change within their motives. And I don't I don't want that to sound deeper than it is. It just means that the stalker as a character was very stoic. And then towards the end, when he broke down about how he just wants people to have the faith uh, and, and and have faith in the zone and, and believe him and come there for good reason and became a... I kind of felt, I felt really sorry for him. Yeah. He was just so hopeless and lost. What he's saying... Only I can, only I can show them, you know, their faith. Only, yeah. only me, the louse, can. And he, he's just such a kind of sad, kind of pathetic character who, mm. you know, it's interesting that he's kind of this vessel of faith. And I'd imagine Tarkovsky sees that as a good thing. But also there's like this tragedy where, you know, he's kind of s- sacrificing his relationship with his family. Yeah. But you don't see that originally. You know what I mean? You don't see... Uh, like I, At least I didn't intend that. I believed him to be the kind of guy who was abusing this power within the zone or something like that. I believed that he was the, the kind yeah. of... Even I kind of... I kind of expected that... And I think, I think it's interesting that they don't go in the room. Um, not to say that... I think oh, that like, was, there's yeah. definitely a supernatural sci-fi element to the zone. And I think the way Tarkovsky explores that uh, is really interesting... But I find it interesting how they don't go into the room and I was expecting there to almost be a, tw- a twist where they yeah. go in there and there's nothing and nothing happens and it was all a lie. Like, that's kind of what I was expecting. But it doesn't even really go that mm. way. They just kind of realise, oh, they can't do it. And then the scientist, you know, threatens to blow the, blow up the place and then, mm. you know, changes his mind after hearing, you know, the stalker kind of, you know... Just kind of beg, break and down about it. Beg and break down, and just just comes was, across so yeah. sad and tragic, and it just kind of shifts her heart. And there's a great kind of final, and I think it's a longer shot in the film uh, where they're just sat there contemplating. Um, and I think that's kind of the, what Tarkovsky's trying to do with this film, in terms of the shot length and stuff. I, f- um, I think Roger Ebert said about this film that it's trying to absorb you, not entertain you. Um, and the reason mm. it's so just like long and patient um, is that it's trying to give you these things to think about. And you yeah. know, you kind of said how the dialogue is like in that scene where he's breaking down. It's very it becomes very obvious what the film is about. Um, mm. But it works because very quickly. But it works because uh, it gives you a chance to kind of chew on these ideas and to really kind of take it apart. And uh, and that's what I really liked about the film. And I think that's why it's, outside of the imagery being really beautiful, mm. I think just thematically, the ideas it's presenting. And I should probably say from like, from from here, like I'm not, uh, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm an atheist. I'm not a man of God. But even this idea of faith is still interesting. And I feel like, you know, mm. anyone from any religious experience can look at this film and the story it's telling and the themes and ideas and, and relate to it yeah I can really like chew on it and gives you something to think about and it's also just I love sci-fi stuff um, and I love subtle sci- sci-fi and I feel like even just the premise of this is really cool <laughs> you know of like the zone yeah um, and like I said like 
the way Tarkovsky kind of directs around the zone, I think is really interesting. Uh, there's all these rules yeah. that don't really follow any sense of logic and only the stalker really understands and the two characters are getting like, frustrated and annoyed because they don't understand how to traverse the zone. Um, and it's it's kind of also like, it's it reminded me of how, like, you know, when you go into a church, there are like, you you behave in a certain manner and you respect the people who uh, are speaking. And at least from my experience as a, because I'm, I'm also not religious, but as I was brought up as a Christian and whenever I was in church, that's the same thing that I got from this film was that whenever they were in the zone, you know, you had to act a certain way and all the other people who got frustrated at it. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, that's, that, this is like, if I was to bring one of my mates into a church being a Christian and being like, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. And that's what it felt like, you know, to me watching it. And it was, yeah, it was just bizarre. It was his, it was the stalker's like place of worship and the core of every belief that he had and his whole life surrounded it. And it made for such a great scene at the end where they were, they actually got to the zone and it was such like an overwhelming thing that, and confusing thing as well that they'd actually made it because it's not like some Indiana Jones thing where there's booby traps and uh, the, the, where spikes come out of the wall and all this crap. It's you know it's they had this very interesting scene in in the they called it the meat mincer, which is a room that I believe from my understanding it allows you to at least reflect on a former level in which you then go insane or something along those lines. I'd have to give it another watch to fully understand it, and it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I think um, what you thought of that. Well, I think uh, like the meatments, uh, it was just meant to be a particularly dangerous part of the zone, uh, and yeah. the stalker kind of explains that you can't, you have to leave a different way that you came into the zone. You can't go, you can't enter the zone the same way twice. Uh, there's all these mm. little rules, and um, like the, the flow it's of crazy. it's very subtle. Like you don't really pick up on it initially, but. The flow of time seems to be different. It, it, there's a, I mean, oh, there's right. a there's okay. a great there's a great scene um, with like the dust with like the dust mounds, and you see like a bird fly through, and then it cuts, and then just oh yeah, and it disappears. It disappears, but then it reappears as if it's in like a loop, and it's only like a really subtle effect. And if you're watching it, and maybe you didn't understand, you know, let's say what especially the if film, you're watching it on a film projector. You could have thought it just flicked or something. Yeah, like it almost seems like a mistake, but it's a very it's a very subtle way of letting you know it's different. And also, like we should mention that, you know, when the film opens outside outside of the zone, uh, it's all shot in sepia, and then when they're in the zone, that's when it goes full color, and I've, it's indicating that idea that the zone is this, even though it's this bizarre, strange place, it's also weirdly full of life. Um, and there's greenery everywhere, and and it's done so subtly as well. Because even as like from a cinematographer's perspective, I never, I think I was so engrossed with the story and trying to figure it, you know, trying to be a smartass and figuring it out as I went along. Like I didn't even recognize like, that that transition was completely subconscious until the end of the film, where they exactly when they, they go, go back, they go back home, and then you're back back into Sepia, and then you realize, oh, yeah, totally. It really was different there, and you kind of get his uh stalker's character more about like why he always goes back i suppose because of it yeah you can't you kind of become as fascinated with the zone as he is i suppose yeah yeah that's a, that's a great way of, of saying it but it's definitely one of those films that isn't yeah it's not an easy watch i wouldn't whack this on if you just want a, a an, an easy view 
it is one of those films where similarly to how you sit down and watch 2001 a space odyssey like you want to go in just observe and experience it um i would love to someday experience this in a you know projected cinema yeah and be amongst other people going through this journey and perhaps people who also have never gone through it before and i think at least on my second watch of it because i am definitely going to watch this again i I really it really sticks with you Mm -hmm. because there's so many factors to consider and to question and it's wonderful because of it um yeah one um one final kind of thing that i wanted to talk about uh, and it's mm-hmm. partly partly what also drew me to speak about this film is that this film, and I don't know how much research you've done for this, but this film had probably one of the worst productions in cinema history. Um, really? No, I yes. mean, other than you suggesting it to me, I know nothing. Um, I think I saw his other films and that was it. So this will be interesting. So they, they shot it three times. So they reshot it two times. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. So the initial shoots, okay. they were using uh, an American film stock, uh, the same film stock that they shot Blade Runner and Alien on and Star Wars on. Uh, and the Soviets mm. basically weren't, they weren't very familiar with it. So uh, they <laughs> when they were developing the footage, they realised that it was all fucked. Uh, it was all in like a shade of green. Uh, so they had to Classic. reshoot the entire film. Um, also, Tarkovsky fell out with his DP, so they got another DP on. Um, I did see that because th- it, there was like three three people who were credited for shooting it. Yeah, so they reshot the film again. Tarkovsky still. Oh my god! Tarkovsky wasn't happy with the footage. Said it didn't have enough right. magic. Fired the D- fired the second DP. Hired another one. Shot it a third time. Uh, so oh this film days. cost. Uh, it cost 1,000,000-S-U-R, which I don't know how that transla- what that translates into, but oh, it was a in, lot of money. In 1979, that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money, and even Tarkovsky had to kind of beg <laughs> the government for more money to make the film, and he actually pitched it as a two-part Shit. film in order to get the funds to in order to shoot it again. Um, so that was a nightmare. However, uh, this... We're, we're, Don't tell me there's more. Well, there's, there's so, <laughs> Jesus no, Christ. There's more, yeah. Um, where people are really interested in this idea of like a cursed film where like, um, you know, you hear about it with stuff like, uh, I think it's The Exorcist and like other horror movies where, oh, where people horrible like... things happen to the cast and crew. Um, mm. But Stalker is one of those films because... Um, no. Unfortunately, several members of the cast, the actors... And even possibly, almost certainly, uh, Tarkovsky himself died because of this film, uh, people believe. Um, you know, a lot, all these shots in like the abandoned uh, factories and in the water. No, the they didn't die of radiation poisoning, did they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. They shot in no. abandoned chemical plants. Um, and, they, and some of the outside locations, like... There's a shot of um, like a river full of foam and you see like the foam kind of moving and that was all runoff from like a paper processing plant and they were just shooting in these really, well at the time they they must not have realised were, you know, really hazardous, hazardous, hazardous uh, locations to shoot in Um, and there's even a scene where you see kind of dust falling from the sky 
uh, and apparently during shooting that gave people like rushes and it made people really ill like it, oh, it was my, a horrible no horrible way. shoot for the, for the cast and crew um one of the cast one of the crew members said like it was like a nightmarish hellish experience because it was just horrible um and yeah knowing that fucking hell with that knowledge and i and that's what turned me on to this film is that i heard that story and I was like, well, that's right. insane. I've got to see this movie. Um, and when you watch it and you're watching them, like, going through, like, it's like wading through the water and and the dust everywhere and they're breathing it in. And, like, there's loads of scenes where they're just, like, lying oh face down in puddles. And you, it's, yeah. it, just adds a, it just adds a completely different kind of... I don't know. It's just... It oh, makes I need it to watch very, it again. It makes it very eerie knowing, knowing that. Um, oh. And obviously it's the type of thing that, like wouldn't happen today you'd hope um yeah and you know and, right. and with like just how much money this film was costing and stuff and just the idea like just knowing all these details about the film and that and apparently Tarkovsky get multiple points and wanted to walk away from it and just go no I don't want to do it and there was one final problem with the film as well um people have wanted to see the original uh, cut of the film um and unfortunately it burnt down uh, and the editor who had the film died in oh, the fire <laughs> as like God. one final death of this film. Um, so yeah, haunting, oh, haunting film. <laughs> and and I actually left speechless. <laughs> not to make light of it, because oh obviously it's an, it's immensely tragic. But um, it definitely does is a rare instance of it adding something to the film. Um, just just very very bizarre just a very bizarre Bloody story hell. around this film and i'm so i'm glad that you didn't find that out um because yeah it's it's insane it's insane <sighs> that's that's heavy yes <laughs> but oh, i mean my this, days. you know back 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 then they didn't they didn't really know and i think also yeah what's particularly it's so tragic though but what's particularly oh God. um sorry gone creepy about this film is obviously we don't we don't really know what the zone is. Um, so this film is adapted from a from a novel called um, Roadside Picnic, uh, and they explain in the novel that it was some kind of it was something to do with like aliens or something. But in the movie, it's left a bit more ambiguous. You don't really know what happened. There's tanks and stuff, but you don't really know. Um, and it's it's quite spooky because this film was only several years before Chernobyl. And I just find it very eerie that this film about like an excluded zone that you're not meant to go into, um, you know, took place before a real life kind of Chernobyl. happening of that. Yeah, and um, they even people who they even call people uh, some people who go into uh, the zone of Chernobyl they call them stalkers. And have you seen that? Have you seen wow, that what a legacy? <laughs> have you seen that photo of um, of the core? Uh, leaking out from Chernobyl. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I mean, I watched the series on it, which was. If you haven't watched that, I don't mean to take away from what we're talking about, but it definitely gives you an idea to the the, the tragic nature of yeah of uh, Chernobyl. But yeah, but I feel like Stalker is like, you know, it's like that photo of seeing the core leaking out. It's like you're not meant to, you're not meant to see this, and, and you know whoever took that is definitely dead. Um, and it gives Stalker oh. it gives Stalker that same energy of like Jesus Christ like this film kind of killed its director shouldn't exist <laughs> it's uh yeah it sh- yeah 
Uh, and it's par- and it's like a powerful enough film anyway. So like knowing that as well just gives it wow gives it such a weird weird energy. I mean, I definitely I'm oh, wow. Yeah, I think watching this film again with that knowledge is certainly going to be. I think when you watch a film like this, after the second time that you watch it, having reflected and understood a bit more about what it's about, instead of trying to figure things out, because I'm I'm guilty of that. I think a lot of people do. But when you watch a film that's this kind of out there and odd, that you try and you try to be clever and figure out the ending as you're going through it. It's a very natural thing. And it was so overwhelming that I definitely struggled in, I guess, enjoying the film. But it was amazing. It was such an interesting film. And that that part, that history that you've just kind of invited me into is incredibly fascinating. I mean, originally I was, I, I did think for a long time whilst watching this that it was going to be about the some sort of like radiation leak and he's somehow like because it was a sci-fi i was like maybe he's got some weird genetic where they call them stalkers because they're uh they can survive like high doses of radiation they do do, um um, imply that he's he's changed um through the daughter because they say she's she's a mutant and to kind of like wrap up on the film i think um the ending of the film was one of those Oh, I completely forgot about that. It's one of those weird, oh, weird movie, movie, yeah. movie moments that makes you kind of go, wait, what? <laughs> um, it reminds you that it's a sci-fi, really. Yes, and so in the opening of the film, uh, when he's talking to his wife and they're kind of saying, like, there's no such thing as psychics and all this stuff. And, and it's kind of poetic that the film ends with the girl, uh, you know, appearing to have some sort of, like, telekinesis. And I think... It's kind of it's kind of like um, you know Inception ending kind of ambiguous like because you also see that um, you know the building shaking because the train's going by so it's like well like, was it because the vibration of the table moving the glasses or was it her um, and I mm. think again Tarkovsky saw this film as being about faith and God being in man uh, and I think that's kind of what that final thing of the final note of the film is and you know it ends with the stalker kind of just destroyed and feeling like there's no hope left in the world um but i think that end end scene is meant to say that there is still faith in the world and his faith was so strong that it's come alive in his in his daughter um it's i mean it's crazy it's definitely that 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 end scene just threw it slapped me in the face and reminded me that it was a sci-fi because the end of it and me kind of gathering a sort of idea to what I thought it was, it made me realise, oh, this is like a very poetic religious commentary on human desire and also the lack of faith in humanity, especially in the time in which it was made and all of this. And then there's just this scene where she's just on her own reading a book and then moves some glasses along the table and you're like, oh my God, she's got like, you know telekinesis and I think the whole the whole kind of Soviet dial of of aesthetic it does freak me out I don't know what it is about it but I remember when I watched Chernobyl and the idea of radiation and it's like the silent killer and you don't realize it's killing you from the inside out and all this thing I find that very very creepy in the in the fact that so many people suffered afterwards 
it makes films like this that are based in that setting inherently creepy anyway, let alone all of these questions that it makes you ask about the, the narrative and the dialogue and the way it's shot. But I, I wanted to kind of end on just an appreciation from my side of it being visual. I think it was a very beautifully shot film. Actually, no, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll ignore that. It's uh, I've, I've already commented on it already, but it was it was definitely like a, a stunning, stunning film. I really did love that aspect of it, if nothing else. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Just even if it, even if um, maybe you listened to this thing yet and you didn't watch it, uh, and you're not sure, just based on the story, like I, I I'm not qualified enough to explain why uh, it's so beautiful. Why it just it really is some powerful images. Mm. Final thoughts on Stalker. So, what would you rate it? What do you think? It's up there. Um, I think with the information that you've provided in in this, I'd have to watch it. In a, you know, I'd have to watch it again. But for the for when it came out, and what story it tells, and for all the, the things that we've spoken about in it. Oh, and the and the score that we never mentioned. Um, oh yeah. I, I I will just say my favourite scene from it was actually the scene where uh, they first are on the. They find the, the 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 kind of cart that takes them as far as it can into the zone, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a there's like a five minute sequence where yeah. it's just close ups um, of and you slowly start to see the greenery and the different kind of environment that they're going into, and you get the first kind of like hint of composition within the whole film of the score. Mm which was so far away from what I expected it to be, given this, the way that the film was set up. It it, it was like uh, like synth wave, very dark, bright sparks of music every now and again they, um, uh, over a very quiet scene. Yeah. And I was like, I, that's, I think, what tipped it over for me of like, I forget that it's a, a sci-fi. True. And then it has all these kind of synth wave elements and it's yeah, like, right, yeah. this is very strange. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember the name of the composer off the top of my head, but um, I read that they very purposely uh, arranged the score to blend in with the natural sounds and like the echoing of like the tunnels and stuff. Um, and I think, mm. yeah, with, to, to kind of get my final thing on the film, I, I, I really, it's been a little while since the film has really stuck with me in the way that this has. Um, yeah, completely agree. Knowing the story behind it, uh, but also just the film itself. Um, this wouldn't typically be a film that I would necessarily be into, mainly just because I just, mm-hmm. I sometimes struggle with foreign language stuff and I struggle with longer stuff, but this film really stuck with me in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Um, I think it's a masterpiece. I think uh, all the elements just work. There's, there's actually nothing I would change about it. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. just a, an amazing film, so it's a... It's a five star for me, uh, without a doubt. So yeah, that was Stalker. Um, but of course, my suggestion to Alex last week was The Grand Budapest Hotel by Wes Anderson. But yeah, so for those who don't know, who haven't watched it before, The Grand Budapest Hotel it came out in 2014. But the Grand Budapest Hotel is about a writer who encounters the owner of a really old, decrepit hotel that once, in its glory days, was run by an exceptional concierge and his 
a very faithful lobby boy and he interviews the lobby boy years on um, about the story um, that took place in the 1930s and it's a incredible film it's absolutely fantastic it's one of those films that I always suggest to people to watch first if they haven't seen a Wes Anderson film I think it perfectly encapsulates his style his sense of comedy his exceptional writing and directing capability with his actors and if nothing else visually this film is absolutely stunning I think one of my favourite parts about it is how it incorporates many forms of filmmaking such as stop motion animation, live action, um, shooting with miniatures, uh, all sorts of different techniques in order to tell this very animated uh, kind of story. But yeah, uh, Alex, what did you? What are your first initial thoughts? Uh, I know you've watched it before, but on a... Um, well- I thought I'd watched it before. Um, I don't oh. think I have, actually, because <laughs> when I was watching, I realised, oh, I don't know anything about this fucking movie. Um, Fantastic. And I think that kind of does speak to uh, Wes Anderson's uh, visual style, because I knew so many of the images in this film. And I think that's oh. why I was like, yeah, I've seen it. But no, I definitely didn't, because I had no idea of, like... <laughs> no, you know, I, I completely didn't know about the painting and all this stuff. Um, my thoughts on the film, though, uh, it's incredibly funny. Like, this... Um, there's a thing called, like, the laugh test, uh, where, like, a film's not actually funny unless it makes you properly laugh out loud a certain amount of times. I think Mark Kermode coined it. Um, and this film definitely passes the laugh test for me. Mm. And this is definitely... From what I have seen of Wes Anderson, and I've watched a few more of his films since... Um, for me, this this kind of seems like really his kind of prime movie in a way. Like, there's very much like all all his all his good traits and it, and even some of his flaws um, are all like extremely heightened in, in this film. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great it's a great movie. I think. Uh, I find Anderson an interesting director as well. I think we're kind of uh, we're kind of just drawn to him because he's just such a director's director, I guess. <laughs> like he's yeah, very absolutely. much his movies are very much his own, um, and every element of them is like symbiotic from the directing to the writing to the performances to the editing. Uh, it's just it's this you know very fluid. Uh, seemingly seamless um production uh and knowing like about how this film didn't really have like a lot of budget either and the kind of res- the kind of way they shot around you wouldn't have thought it would you no yeah because it seems like a really expensive movie but they use very clever filmmaking techniques in order to you know get around the fact that they basically didn't have a lot of i mean they had like a an episode of wandavision <laughs> budget <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah. i've listened to many uh interviews with the cinematographer yeah, Robert Yeoman. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm terribly sorry. He's such a saint of a cinematographer with Wes Anderson. It's a brilliant pairing. Uh, but he spoke a lot about how frugally and cleverly at the same time they shot this movie and got around the, the budget constraints. You know, if you haven't watched the behind the scenes stuff on YouTube, there's like some fantastic uh, yeah. behind the scenes footage of this yeah, film watched, being made. Uh... 
I watched like the Criterion uh, documentary, um, mm. and I was surprised by how it seemed like a really calm shoot. <laughs> because when you watch a Wes Anderson film, and I mean, I'm I have a very limited knowledge of filmmaking, like on the on the physical side, um, but I would assume, you know, considering the way he shoots his films and the way he works his camera you'd expect it mm. to be very tense because it's very precise um but it just seems so calm and everyone just seems so chill and having a good time and <laughs> usually when you think about these kind of productions having like just being super stressful and everyone like constantly on edge and being scared <laughs> of fucking up the next shot but everyone just seems super zen they were just like yeah we're here you know just a loving life <laughs> just really calm anderson's there just He seems like a nice director as well. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, my personal experience in in on-set filmmaking, I mean, the stress always comes from you coming to a scene, having not planned it thoroughly, and go, how the fuck are we going to pull this off? Um, For me, at least, yeah, the most stressful moments come from uncertainty. And I think the reason why perhaps his films and his sets. I mean, I've never been on one. I've never heard much about actually being involved with a Wes Anderson film, but I imagine it's very pleasant given how many people he gets to come back and act in them and work on them. Um, But his films are so specifically and precisely planned. Uh, He does, he's very famous for um, drawing pretty much every aspect of his film to be a certain way before they, they shoot it. Um, mm. And I've seen in many, um, I've seen many interviews with Robert where he talks about how uh, Wes loves to do his animatics. He loves to draw all of the way that he wants the film to kind of look and feel, and they believe that's why the film sometimes has kind of an animated quality to it in in terms of like the actors' gestures and the camera movement because it he he loves that art form and you and you can tell that in the passion that went into things like Fantastic Mr Fox and. Um, a la dogs but yeah i imagine that it's <laughs> it's actually quite a pleasant shoot because if you you know if he's planned it that much um there's never really going to be a situation where he doesn't know what he wants and the one thing i had always admire about wes anderson in this film in particular is uh his characters in relation to the world around them and the objects around them as well uh the mise-en-scene and the the, the set design with I mean, you think of how much went into this film with the the miniatures of the hotel, all of the things like the Mendel's boxes and the way they interact with letters and, you know, all these parts of the world that these characters interact with are also also well-crafted and considered and it makes the whole piece come together. There's so much detail in Wes Anderson film. They won the uh, Oscar for best uh, production design that year um and you can see why like yeah absolutely it's um <clears throat> it's just got this great style uh and even when we're getting to the story i guess but like when we're shifting uh the time periods as well and uh even even the style is changing then uh to be like period accurate and um that even translates to the to the way they to the framing of uh how they shoot each of those scenes mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's clearly a very well thought out film, for sure. Mm. And it makes sense how they came around the budget, at least. Uh, for example, the the actual hotel was well, a shopping. 
wasn't it a shopping center? It was like a mall. A pretty, from what I understand. Yeah, it was yeah. like they, they converted. Yeah, they they went to see all of these real hotels, um, and Wes kind of picked out parts of these things that they loved, and in order to efficiently get around the budget of you know going between all these different areas and specifically the hotel as well they built the big set that they filmed the most in which was obviously the the main time period of the 1930s um they built that set which was the the grand Budapest hotel it's peak and it's most glorious and most colorful um fully within this kind of this mall setting and then they built a set within that and made it more cramped and small to do the ones in the future. So they actually all just shot from one location, which was genius. Um, yeah. For example, there's also a scene where there's a lot of them where they're looking out of train windows as they're pulling up somewhere. And those were literally the actors sat on a square grid on a dolly mm-hmm. with <laughs> with like... The, the the window part of the wall of the train built yeah, like and cutout. nothing else around them. It's like a cardboard cutout. And then yeah. they just kind of push the dolly along. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, there's so much admiration uh, in the craft of this movie. I feel like if you can't, if you don't really gel very well with the comedy, uh, I think it's a very easy kind of sense of comedy to, and a range of it at least to, to kind of gel with. But if you don't, you know, the visual style at least is is very admirable. And I understand that a lot of people don't really like Wes Anderson as well, because it's, it's, it's kind of a bit like Marmite, you know, you either, you hate him or you love him for, for what he does. And, uh, you know, yeah. I completely respect people's opinions for not liking his movies. They're, they are very different. They don't really conform to any normal way of storytelling i mean it, because it's like a book it's like a it's like a child's book born on onto a visual image um, yeah i <clears throat> i completely understand why you would hate a wes anderson movie um i think a lot of his sensibilities are we we talk about it sometimes about certain directors where uh, some directors are quite self-indulgent and i think mm it's fair to call Wes Anderson self-indulgent. Um, this is for every, like I said, every element of the movie is very much in a style that he likes. And I'm not saying that, um, as I say, style over substance, but I could totally see that as a criticism of his films. Um, I think in the case of the Grand, of the Grand Budapest Hotel, if I had to criticise it, um, the film is very funny. Uh, Ralph Fiennes as Gustav is he's hilarious he's so funny his timing is perfect um mm. and just a lot of the little jokes um you know jeff goldman losing his fingers in the door and Willem <laughs> Dafoe being this like menacing just brute um it's all very funny and mm. i think it rubs me a bit weird because not to completely jump over all of the plot but the end of the film is quite sad and meant to kind of have kind of a... Yeah. I think it's meant to have kind of a sense of tragedy. And I think with Wes Anderson, he's he's so kind of obsessed with that tone he wanted to create. And it's funny how really it's Zero's story. And a bit of me kind of feels that although Zero gets a lot of screen time... It's kind of rough. And uh, that. Tony Revololi is, you know, really great at Zero. He's really funny as well. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's not really his movie. I don't think. I think it's more about Gustav. It's more his movie, and I think mm. it's that self indulgence thing where, you know, I think Wes Anderson kind of enjoyed Gustav more. And he kind of steals the show a bit. So then when we get to the tragedy, I mean, it is sad because obviously it ends and you find out Gustav died and that's how Zero got the hotel. And there is a sense of tragedy tragedy to that, but there's a weird kind of tonal dissonance for me. Like it doesn't really land in the way that I think it's meant to. And I think with Wes Anderson, he just, I think he just has blind spots as a writer and a director. I think he gets Mm -hmm. so caught up in you know, in this, in his fantastic illustrative style, um, I think sometimes he loses the heart of the film a bit. And I think, yeah, certain characters who are important, for example, Agatha, uh, I believe that's her <laughs> name, played by Sasha yeah. Ronan, um, you know, that's meant to be quite a vital character. And I, and I think there's reasons it, within the story why she's kind of pushed to the side. But I'm watching it and I'm thinking... I mean, first of all, we live in like a post-Ladybird world, so we know that's a great actress, so why aren't you using her? Uh, And second of all, clearly very important character for the emotional weight. But but because we don't get much time to... We don't get to spend much time with her. It's kind of like, well, when I find out she died, I don't really care. Like, it's sad. And I like Zero, so I'm sad for him. But it doesn't Mm. land in the way that it's it's meant to, I don't think. And and I think that's just an... Ultimately, that's my... As much as I love this movie and I think it's great, uh, it is a major it's problem I have with, with Anderson. And uh, I completely understand why he would rub you weird, and especially if you're not into the style, because I think the style mm. is doing a lot of the legwork in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it, the thing is with like Wes Anderson is that the tonal shifts are they're very quick. Mm. Uh and it is like turning the page in a in a children's book where it's all like, oh, they were fro- frolicking through the forest and everything was all right. And then you turn the page and it's like, ah, oh, like a wolf's eating them or something like that. It's it's very much that kind of, that that feel of every scene is like a different page and it's the, the tone changes quite quickly. Yeah. And I would completely agree with you. The one flaw I have was, is unfortunately Agatha was, a, feels like a wasted character because you see a lot of her engagement within the story but yeah obviously the conclusion is if not more important and it's summed up within a sentence uh and it is that it's the same with um which i think is purposeful i think it is purposeful that they do that of course a bit of me is watching it thinking well you didn't really do the work for me to care about that we talked about this in the last Mm. episode about earning a moment and i'm not always sure if this earns its moments because the moments mm. the emotional moments that do land are um you know the scene where uh gustav has broken out of prison and he's and he links up with zero and he kind of like <laughs> berates him for not bringing uh the perfume uh mm. and then and then he kind of zero kind of opens up to him about his history and then he breaks down and he apologizes and he says you know i'm so proud of you and and for me that was like well i was really emotionally like invested because I'd been following these two characters the whole film, Goal so I knew their, yeah, exactly. their relationship. But when you tell me, like, oh, yeah, you know, Agatha died, Agatha and our child died, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm sad, but that's, for, for Zero, that's, but should I don't be more know. of a tragic part of the story. Yes, and I, and I think, like, I think in context of the narrative, 
maybe what he's trying to do there is clearly this is something that zero the older zero has buried um mm. and he even says like well i guess there's no avoiding it and then that's when you find out about their relationship when he's talking mm. to the writer um so i i get that but i think as an audience member i'm kind of like well you know again especially if you're not familiar with his work and and the, that shift in tone that he is quite common in doing i mean it's like the raw when i watched the royal tenenbaums that movie goes from one minute talking about something very quite serious and then completely changes and that film is very yeah. much like it's it makes it difficult for the average person to kind of get if they have not if they aren't familiar i don't i don't mind it um his his pieces are so well done and like you said the the visual part of the story you know carries a lot of the weight of the film but yeah i completely agree there are some there are definitely some other characters as well that i wish i would have you know seen more of or wish they'd stayed in the story longer um yeah it's because huge, of that it's such a huge cast as well like it's such a mass you know this is a massive ensemble and you've 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 got you know <laughs> like Tilda Swinter in a for like a couple of scenes and same with Bill Murray and these big actors and again and that is it's that indulgence thing like a part of me kind of wants to go can we scale it back a bit because you're kind of I know this is your nature Wes like I know this is this is what you do you you do this <laughs> over the top kind of thing but a bit of me kind of wants you to take a step back and calm it down a bit Mm. No, yeah, I completely agree. It's um, it's it's a hard it's a hard part of Wes Anderson's films that never really changes, and I think I've 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 found an acceptance within that to not <laughs> outside of the main characters not to be too invested with the idea that the conclusion of his films are going to be what I would want them to be in any other kind of movie. It doesn't just happen within emotion it happens in action as well you know one scene they could be talking about one thing and then it completely changes like the parameters of the story completely change and it it keeps you on your feet about that Mm. um and then at the same time you know it's the it brought us william defoe skiing and also you know death in churches and (laughs) you know a lot of things that visually and contextually were extremely funny and well produced and crafted so there is that balance of you know how much do i let go yeah and the film also like the film is clearly a heightened reality you know the the way wes anderson sees the world is not the way that the world actually is so you definitely like go into his films with kind of a lower bar um but like just I don't know. I, it's like, I just think the balance isn't always there. That being said, though, it is an extremely enjoyable movie. Like I, I'm not trying to take it, take that away from it at all. Um, no, like no, said, absolutely. It's incredibly funny. Like it, it was making me really, really laugh. Like I just, <laughs> I think he's he's a very he's clearly a very like funny guy with a great sense of humour. Um, and the actors clearly were very in sync. And like I said, everything about the film is very symbiotic. Like the dialogue to the to the editing to the cinematography, it all just weaves together, and it does go at this kind of almost break, uh, breakneck pace. You know, mm. uh, just it just never ceases to not be not be it. You know, not be the mm. movie that it is. Uh, 
and yeah, it, it was it was it was fun. It's a it's a very fun film, and I, I think that's what you really have to take away from Wes Anderson's film films. I think because although mm. he likes to implement maybe a sense of tragedy or I don't know, pathos or something like he he tries to do those things, but for me, like the the what you come for is is the fun and the humor and the direction yeah. and um there's so like the kind of the unique attributes of that this form of storytelling that isn't perhaps as emotionally impactful as what people are used to for films of this high of a, um r- both rating and respect yeah but the payoff is that you get something out of it that's very very visual and expertly crafted and has its own place i think um he definitely knows what his films are to an extent and everyone in them knows what they are and that's why they keep returning to them and it's probably one of the most admirable things about his films is his his nature to bring an ensemble of some incredible actors always back into his movies i mean like the new french dispatch has probably one of his biggest um cast lists ever i would say um, and I can't wait to see that. I don't. This movie is pretty fucking. I mean, this is uh, without a doubt an ensemble film. Maybe like some of the players who in this who maybe weren't as big, uh, who who weren't quite big yet. Like I said, like we live in post Ladybird mm. world, so you see Sasha Ronan in the in a movie now, and you're like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> She's like one of the one of the big players right now. Uh, but you've mm. got like Ralph Fiennes, who's amazing. Uh, like I said, you got Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, uh, Tilda Swinton, um, and it just goes on and Bill on. Like there's, there's so Owen many. Wills, yeah. There's so many, so many fantastic actors in in this film, uh, and a lot of them who are just used for brief moments as well, which is just like, yeah, I like that. I like it. It's it's the kind of yeah, you know, I've got Bill Murray in every one of my films, but he'll either be a lead or he'll just be here for five minutes, and that's absolutely fine. It serves yeah. the story. Um, and it, yeah, it's 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 amazing. I, I am looking very much looking forward to the French Dispatch. I think it's going to be another one of those movies that you can point to uh, and be like, yeah, that's that's like a Wes Anderson film, along with the return cast of um, of Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, Edward Norton, William Dafoe, um, introducing Francis McDormand as well and Timothy Chalamet into this kind of mm-hmm. crazy universe. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. This film is definitely like, like I said at the beginning, I I clearly hadn't seen the film, but like I felt like I had because it's just, there's something about the imagery in it. Um, mm. And this was actually the highest grossing indie of 2014. Um, Blimey. So, yeah, so like this is clearly, this film in particular is clearly the one uh, that I think is kind of cemented itself as the Wes Anderson film. Um, mm. So I think if you're interested in his filmography and you haven't seen it before, and like I said, I, I wasn't really too familiar with his films. I'd seen a few here and there. I was more more of a fan of the animation. Um, mm. This is a sort of great jumping in point because I think it, this is... It's just, it's just very gleeful. It's just very gleeful and it's an easy watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know... Like I said, I can't understand. I can't understate how how funny it is. Like I normally, I watch funny films, and it doesn't really 
get a laugh out of me. But it, there's so many sequences in this that just, just make me giggle. The thing of like, uh, oh, you think I did it and you're going to arrest me and then he runs. <laughs> yeah. It's just the camera just stays there and you watch him like run into the background. Just ruined me. <laughs> like, I found that so funny. How may we serve you, gentlemen? Inspector Henkel. By order of the Commissioner of Police, Zabroka Province, I hereby place you under arrest for the murder of Madame Celine Villeneuve de Goffin Taxis. I knew there was something fishy. We never got the cause of death. She's been murdered. And you think I did it. Hey! Stop! And just like his little, just his little one-liners and quips and... Uh. Quips, yeah. It's like that scene where... Um, where they've just <laughs> they go for that in- incredible scene where they're they're skiing down the mountain, which I mm. still don't know how they filmed. Um, I, I, it's mind-boggling how they they pulled it off. It looks fantastic. Uh, Mr. Gustav is hanging off the edge of the cliff, uh, and Jopling, I think his name is, yeah. uh, William Defoe's character. Mm-hmm. He, he comes over and he begins like stomping on the ice to make it crack so he'd fall to his death. And then he just uh, he just starts like quoting like <laughs> poetry again, always in the most inappropriate moments, and then gets uh, uh, pushed off a cliff. And he's like, "Fucking hell, you did it! <laughs> you got him!" There's many moments in this in this film that are brilliantly and superbly well timed. I think they've got some great people who understand like comedic timing. Mm. If you you know if you want to watch a, a very good comedy film it's definitely one for you and it i think it also has many other obviously elements that are, that are very admirable that you will hopefully um enjoy but yeah that's uh that's the grand budapest hotel what would you give it minus sure i gave it a four star on my letterbox um i'm happy with that i think i i would maybe bring mm. it down to a seven i feel like it's maybe closer to a seven for me just because I feel I feel like he he did slightly miss the mark, and I I as much as I admire the way he makes his movies, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm super into his the way he does it. Like I'm not gonna deny. <laughs> you say it like it's it's gonna cause a. Because I know there's going to cause a whirlwind. Because I know there's like a bunch of like <laughs> people listening to this who are probably like, what, what? <laughs> I'm just not super. I just, so I I think self indulgent is the word. Um, I have a thing with some. Sometimes you watch a film and you know when you just like hear a line, where it's like, oh that was just you know that was a screenwriter just you know throwing in uh, mm-hmm. throwing in something they like to say. I think um, a good comparison to Wes Anderson for me would be like Tarantino, again, another director who is making movies that undeniably he are for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes even with Tarantino, as much as, you know, we like to be in his world and look through his eyes and, and be in his stories, sometimes it's kind of like, oh, mate, like, you know... I'm watching your movie. <laughs> like, can you make the movie for me and not for you? <laughs> and I just feel, sure. a, I feel a it's bit like fair. that with Wes, with Wes Anderson sometimes. I think, because um, I, I didn't, because my thing is, and I think why I, I feel, we, I, we said at the start of this podcast that I think there are two films that are interesting to compare. 
because I think they're both films that kind of rely on their style of filmmaking a bit. Um, but obviously they, they differ in terms of the writing and the storytelling. And it's, you know, not that one is necessarily better than the other, but Stor- like Stalker left me with so much to chew on and something to think about and take home with. And I don't really know what I don't really know what the Grand Budapest Hotel was meant to tell me. Like, um, mm-hmm. and look, I, I'm a dumb dumb. I don't always understand <laughs> films, and I, I I just I'm not really sure what Wes Anderson was necessarily trying to say with this film, apart from inviting you into his funny magical world. And it is extreme. It is an extremely magical, funny world, and I'd love to revisit it. And and like watching these other films, like that sensibility just carries through throughout all of them. But I don't know what I was really meant to take away from the Grand Budapest Hotel. There, there's there, there's these themes of war and power. They they are they're kind of introduced in there through the through the historical setting and what was going on. Like the film was set kind of between World War One and World War Two, and this idea of like a time gone, and this idea of memory. And you know, it's a story within a story within a story. Like, but I don't really know <laughs> what he's trying to say about it. <laughs> you sure. know, I I don't. And, and that's not me saying that there's nothing to take away because I think there is and I think he definitely you can tell that this this one in particular was very much indeed a passion project for him I just think there's something about this film that stands out from his other filmography as being particularly something that he wanted to make um, so there's definitely some kind of hook um, I just don't think it was necessarily for me however it is extremely entertaining, so I can't take that away from it at all. Like it, I can't again. I can't underestimate how how enjoyable it is, and how pleasant it is, and how great the cast are. How how it's directed with such expertise, and the music, and the writing, and everything. It it does all work, um, but it doesn't quite hit that higher boundary for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think it with like like we said earlier with Wes Anderson's movies, it's the thing I always take when I watch them is. I try to remember that perhaps there's not much that he is trying to say, but the problem with that is, is that he lit his stuff within it as if it is to say something. Mm. You know what I mean? And that never really lands. So I'm sat there going, he just wants to tell a story in in the way he likes to tell stories, which Mm. I believe is what this film is. There are things littered within the story that allow you to to kind of question certain things like that. Um, And unfortunately it doesn't, doesn't land in that way and it does understandably leave a lot of people like well I don't I don't get like what he what he was trying to say and and that is a struggle for me I think that's the one critique I definitely carry with me when I watch his films I think he's probably aware of it as as the years have gone on but especially in his early work it feels that he either just wants to tell a story the Royal Tenenbaums for example was actually had some quite strong themes in a lot of them have to, uh, to do with like fatherhood um, or the meaning of life and things like this that I assume come from somewhere within Wes's mind and experience. And I do believe he does a better job in other films at doing that. Um, and then there's movies like this that I think because it was so strongly focused on style, perhaps that kind of was washed away ever so slightly. And things like Moonrise Kingdom, I think was one of those stories as well that was only just supposed to be a story for the sake of it being told. Like he said, it, it, it wasn't based off of experience. It was just that he, he had a dream when he was young about 
having a partner and what that relationship would be like and and this movie kind of falls awkwardly in between that but other than that yeah I'd, I'd, I think I'd give it I would agree on seven I think that's very fair I've given it also five stars in the past I mean my, my initial rating was like four and I, I'm even still drawn to a four I, do, I don't know I mean we do our ratings but <laughs> ratings are bullshit ultimately I mean to take, take it yes yeah, absolutely you know, it's just an indicator of like what we generally thought about it but um I definitely recommend it. Like it is a it is a good film, and I feel kind of guilty. Like I've kind of stripped away maybe a deeper, like a interesting conversation about how Wes Anderson directs his films and the ideas behind them. But you know, it's uh, it's it's indulgent, and that's fine. Sometimes it's fine to watch something that's just fun and doesn't really give you a lot to chew on. But I think when you're so heavily stylized. Uh, in a way that Wes Anderson is like, it it's got a. I feel like it just doesn't. It's got to come together in a certain way, and I think it's why I'm more drawn to his animation because there's something about fully going into cartoon world where I can just let go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but when you're talking about historical event based on inspired by writings of you know a German playwright and shit, like all this stuff, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> there's some idea here. What is it? Um, yeah, I um, wish it was fleshed out a lot more than it is and perhaps translated through the characters a lot better than it is. Yeah, but it is a it is an incredibly fun watch. So, um, yeah, it was a great mm-hmm. choice. Thanks for recommending that. Well, talking about recommendations, well, oh, yes. you're welcome. But <laughs> what on earth have you got for me uh, for the next episode? Um, I'm kind of... I really still am on the fence. My gut is saying... Um, I would like to Ooh. watch uh, Nocturnal Animals by Tom Ford. Great, another one I haven't seen. I think this is going to be a, quite a fair history lesson going forward it's, for uh, me. It's more of a recent film. Um, uh, oh, okay. But it tells a very kind of interesting story. A friend reckon, recommended it to me, recommended it to me a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was incredible the way uh, it tells its story, but I won't say anything more than that. So yeah, your yes. next film is Fantastic. Nocturnal Animals. Amazing. Well, uh, since you recommended a um, foreign language film to me last week, mm-hmm. uh, I thought I'd only do the same. Cool. Uh, and the film that I'm about to recommend was the last one that I saw in the cinema before COVID hit. Okay. So I caught it on the end of its cinema lifespan. I was recommended it to to me by my boss from my cinema that I used to work in. And he was like, this is the only showing we're doing of it. Please go and see this movie. Um, so I did. I knew nothing about it going in. It's a French film. It was made in 2019 and it's called Les Mis. Now, this isn't the musical, Les Mis. I would not make you sit for a musical unless I had something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is an entirely different conversation. But um, yeah, Les Mis is basically based off... The whole story is is a drama, but it's based off of one quote from the original play. And I thought that it was, uh, you know, I said a bit earlier how I'm not really used to watching foreign language films and I'm not used to reading subtitles, but even the little changes of after I saw that, I was like, right, there's a whole load of cinema that I'm, I've completely just subconsciously disregarded because of that, that I need to start getting into. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Lame is, 2019. Cool. Lovely. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening on this week's episode. 
of the Final Draft podcast. It has been really fun. It's been good to discuss a film that I hadn't watched before and uh, a film that Alex had thought he'd watched before but never had, so that's quite rare. <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, thanks for listening. If you like the show, uh, we're over at Twitter at Final Draft Show and on Instagram at Final Draft Pod. Give us a follow to keep updated when we're releasing new episodes and there'll be a link somewhere to join our Discord. Please join the Discord. We really want to hear from you. We want to know what you thought. Um, are you mad at me that I don't really like Wes Anderson? Please let me know. Uh, and also, would you hate his guts? <laughs> yeah, I want to fight him. Um, <laughs> and if you're listening on the future, we might have a Patreon and uh, merch and all that good stuff. So if you want to support the show, uh, please do that. Please, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, your next can't films wait to are... see people in the street uh, wearing my face and your face on t-shirts. Oh yeah, that's, it's just going to be a, that's going to be amazing. It's just going to be a JPEG of our faces, not even edited yeah. to look like anything. <laughs> Little bit of comic sounds in the in the bottom bottom right hand corner of the uh, t shirt that says oh, the yeah. Draft podcast on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for listening. Yeah. See you again. Yeah.